0: Hey, what's up? Matt Sutton here and welcome back to Mastering You. Today's episode, it's a good one. I'm talking to Jonathan McLernan on a topic that is really close to my heart. It's what Jonathan calls brain-driven weight loss. Okay, now anyone listening, or any of the millions of people potentially um, that could be listening who have been through the whole yo yo dieting scenario, or maybe you've got friends or family that really struggle with their weight, and maybe you've followed the diets, maybe you've tracked your calories, but for whatever reason it doesn't work. Or maybe you're one of those people that you know what you need to do, but for some reason you just can't seem to implement that into your life. What's that all about? Well, in this episode, that is exactly what we cover. Um, It's a really interesting story. Jonathan shares his own 100-pound-plus weight loss story, why he went from being a teacher from Marine to a weight loss coach today and why he's kind of fed up with the way that the fitness industry portrays how easy it really is when actually we, we get into the roots of why is isn't so easy and why we do have to have a much higher level of self-awareness than ever before because we're marketed so well with the advertisements the marketing we are swimming against the tide and so we need the knowledge to work against that we need the knowledge to stay healthy to stay lean and i think you would really gain um a lot of motivation inspiration from this episode so let's get into it Jonathan McLernan okay so today i am talking to Jonathan McLernan Jonathan is the owner of Freedom Nutrition Coaching. And Jonathan, we, we, we just had this brief chat before you started. And uh, I mean, I, I'll give you the opportunity to share you know, exactly what you do and, and what you're about. Um, but you're really passionate about what you call brain driven weight loss. And yeah. you know that, that straight away, like my, I, you know, my eyes lit up because that's something <laughs> I've been so passionate about myself. Uh, having spent three or four years studying neuroscience, and just really addicted to to understanding why we do the things we do,
1: yeah, <laughs> why do absolutely. we do the things
0: we do when we don't, when we know that they're not always going to serve us um, for the best of our purposes? So, Jonathan, do you want to briefly, briefly just share with the listeners? why are you talking about brain driven weight loss? How did you get to this moment in your life?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, if, if we'll give just a little bit of a backstory. So I mean, because I've had, sure. I've had a really varied background from nanotech researcher to marine engineer in the in the Navy, um, to a four time entrepreneur with two failed businesses, and I've been a globetrotting English teacher. And uh, during my travels wow. around the world, I, I went from being an athlete to being morbidly obese as a result of a trauma that I suffered while uh, living in South Africa. And so that that began my journey of weight loss in, in earnest so um, prior to that I was at a pretty athletic and so I would have thought that anyone who was overweight was just like lazy or undisciplined but um, really I turned to food as a coping mechanism because I really didn't have tools to deal with my trauma and so that you know I found myself wading into this murky world of of, of weight loss and diet culture so after a lot of um, failed attempts at losing weight uh, you know people ask how long it take you to lose 100 pounds and I said six years <laughs> and uh You know, people think, well, why why didn't, you know, I said, look, if I knew what I know now, it would have not taken six years, but I didn't know I had to go on this journey of struggle and and discovery. And, you know, it was when I hired a coach and he, you know, I thought he was going to treat me the way that every other coach had treated me, you know, shame me for being fat, um, you know, really just try to coerce me into following macros and calories and stuff like that. And instead, he, he shone a light on really the biggest problem that I was facing. And that was my relationship to myself and, and to my body. So because of all my failed attempts to, to lose weight, I'd really become angry and spiteful towards myself and my body. And I say, like, I, through diets, I kept trying to punish my body in a submission. And he worked with me to actually heal my relationship with myself. And then by extension, food. And that was this really, like, seismic paradigm shift that... I could actually treat myself with compassion um, and and actually show myself love and lose weight that I didn't, I wasn't such a worthless human being that the only way that I could accomplish this was to, you know, punish myself. And so it really opened my eyes to the genuine struggles of people who want to lose weight, that there's a lot more than meets the eye in in every case.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's quite a story there, Jonathan. Thanks for thanks for getting into that. So yeah, so, so let's st- stick in with that story and your journey, because I'm sure a lot of people listen to this will relate to that. And um, particularly, you know, how did you feel during that time when you were looking for a coach or, cause I, this is, this is something that I, I've never been through myself. And I'm, it's, it's interesting to talk to someone that's not just gone through the journey, but is now coaching people. Um, just yeah. understanding emotionally and mentally where you are during that period where you're you're really struggling you don't know what to do you're looking for a coach but you don't want to be like you said fat shamed and and just having to follow the standard kind of count your calories type thing um what what was going on your mind at that point
1: you know because i had kind of this idea that i because of my struggles so um, maybe I'll just take one step back and say like, I'm pretty well educated. Um, I, was, I did opt out of my PhD program ultimately because I wanted to join the Navy and go into Marine engineering. But, so there was a part of me that goes, how can I know all this information, like seemingly know what to do, but I can't seem to do it. And that a lot of that really drove my feelings of failure, um, like somehow I'm not good enough. So then to go on say social media, and to see these coaches and, you know, they say the right things. Like, you know, they, they look perfect in their poses and they somehow try to put a motivational quote up there. And I'm just like, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea because you've never actually struggled. You're, you're putting up some glossy motivational quote with a picture of your bum and gym shark pants or shirtless flexing your abs mm. while trying to say, just get after it. And I'm like, you have no idea what my struggles are like, but that was, that was really dominating the scene. You know, you go back five, six, seven years ago, that was really what was dominating the scene. Mm. And so to try and find someone and I didn't know that I was looking for someone that would show me compassion, you know, the coach that I hired, I mean, I I went through a few coaches um, and every time I just kept having this like frustrating feeling, you don't get it. You're just trying to tell me what to do and you're not listening. You're not, you're not understanding. Where my real struggles are and I didn't know how to articulate them either and that that's the hardest part is I knew I was struggling. But I couldn't put words to it because nobody could seem to help me Um, so when I when I hired a coach and you know I said he asked me the question that changed my life. He said you know Jonathan if you make a list of all the things you love and value how far down that list do I have to go before I see your name. And yeah that one, that one just blew me away. So that started this shift of, because in, in my idea, like I was worthless. I was a failure. I was hopeless. I was never going to get out of this, you know, all this, this sort of downward negative spiral. And here, what he highlighted for me is your relationship with yourself is the thing that's really making this hard for you.
0: Mm.
1: And he had to shift that belief that, you know what, you can because I think love yourself also gets misconstrued, you know, eating, eating an entire cake is not an act of self-love just because it makes you feel good in the moment. It's actually a, it's a self-destructive act eating an entire large pizza in my car in a parking lot, like, because I wanted, I was also a binge eating food addict, you know?
0: Well, it's obviously it's, it's for people listening. It's really, if you think about the seesaw analogy, you know if if stress is high you know that that cake brings the equilibrium back and you, you know it that in the moment it does make you it, it does release or relieve yeah. the, the the pain yeah. I, I suppose pain, pain might be may or may not be the, the right word but you know it
1: no that's that's and i really like that seesaw analogy that's a good way of putting it because i like to say that all, all behavior makes sense and i don't mean that it's ideal like let's say smoking we're all pretty sure that smoking is a terrible long-term habit. But in the moment, if you, if you know somebody who smokes it's like, ah, you know, I I just need to smoke. What are you really saying there? I I need a temporary escape from feeling overwhelmed and stressed and a cigarette will do a very good job of that in the moment. That's, That's why they're addictive. For me, it was food. So while I was eating that food, I was escaping all everything that I was struggling with temporarily. Mind you, some of it was tortured because shame, guilt, regret—these things all come in because a part of my brain goes, "This isn't a helpful behavior." But then I just felt judged and shamed by my own brain, you know. Like it was a really messy place to be mentally.
0: So, can I ask? Obviously, when and, and that anyone listening right now, I think do that task. You know, do that do that strategy that Jonathan's coach got them to do. I think it's a it's a great starting point if you are even considering the you know your, your journey and um and it helps you figure out give you some self-awareness to where you are you know in relation to behavior change there's that was it that seven stages of behavior change and one i think it's pre-contemplation and then contemplation and then you know you know just knowing where you are roughly is, is going to give you a, an idea of what the journey and how long the journey is going to be I, I, yeah. i'd like to know like If you were really low on your, you know, you were valuing yourself really low. Is that something that had been, without going into personal details, obviously Mm -hmm. unless you want to, but is that something that had been occurring for a long period of time or just was, was a gradual thing over a number of years? Do you think?
1: Um, it, it's been there, it had been there for quite a while, uh, you know I spent six years in the military and one thing the military drills into is like service before self and it, it's deliberate right. Um, and you know it's also necessary, this is not me slagging the military there's many good aspects of being in the military. Um, but that that kind of instills it like they say they kind of have to break you down to build you back up again. Yeah. And that's like like boot camp is is much more a head game than it is a physical challenge That's not say it's not physically challenging but that's just an example. um. I think all of these things maybe existed or were dormant under the surface. And then when I ballooned to like 330 pounds, um, it all came to the surface. All these, you know, uh, feelings that had kind of been dormant there because my life had been pretty good. I was in good shape, got a beautiful wife, um, traveling the world, you know. um, But maybe there was this, it was all like kind of a a false sense of self-confidence. And then when I went through this experience, boom, it just brought everything to the surface. And so the struggle kind of went for maybe five, five, six years, because it was really, yeah, it was really six years of struggling before I hired this this coach who really connected with me on a very human level. And maybe I could just say something about compassion, because I think that gets misunderstood. One, as a male, we saw I would see compassion as weakness. It's not. But the other thing it's not is a get out of jail free card. So in other words, if I was engaged in a unhelpful or destructive behavior, you know, my coach wouldn't say to me. Hey, just finish off that bottle of wine or just just keep eating the pizza tonight you know, because you've had a hard night. And compassion is about understanding the, hum- the common humanity that, that it is to struggle. And maybe people listen to this. They'll hear that, like, let's say I lost 100 pounds. Um, it doesn't mean my life is perfect now. <laughs> I still have struggles, mm. very real ones. The urges to eat and overeat, they still exist, but I but I navigate them differently. And why I want to share that is because sometimes, and the thing that frustrated me the most is I would see like, I would see these people on social media posting like their perfect life, you know, hashtag live your best life hashtag blessed hashtag you know, Give me a break, you know, right now I'm, I've got a I've got a six month old who wakes up every two hours because he's teething, you know, okay. it's any parent out there will know like, I don't have time for a two hour morning routine that involves journaling and sipping a cup of tea and contemplating my life, but. So I say that if you feel like you're struggling and wondering why your life isn't perfect, like some influencer you see on social media, it's because theirs isn't perfect either. They're they're presenting an image and an ideal that doesn't exist. Yeah. So just be aware that the struggles will continue, but maybe not to resent that, um, but to appreciate it because it's the struggles that bring out the best in us, that force us to dig deep and find out what we're actually capable of. And that's what develops our character. And so f- for me to be able to reframe my struggles is developing my character. Help me not to resent them.
0: I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's such an important thing to be compassionate as a coach, but also compassionate to yourself. Um, what, one thing that you mentioned that, that made me think a, a little bit about coaching is it sounded like the coach that you found took a coaching approach um, instead yeah. of a, an instruction-based approach of, yes. you know, you need to do this. You must do this. Um, so it's one of the things that's been really important to me over the years, particularly since i've started to learn about how the brain works and you know and just giving someone one approach or even the idea let's face it with nutrition of of one approach working it, it's just ridiculous um, yes but the coaching approach is is just so paramount however i don't know if you've found this since becoming a coach because society has been conditioned by maybe social media uh, you know magazines mm-hmm. Um, to follow a set plan Uh, sometimes that becomes a barrier with with people coming to personal trainers and coaches because they want they want the just give me the plan like that's that's the thing like just just tell me what to do just tell me show me what to do and so it's you know for anyone listening like this is this is something to be aware of because you know what you guys you know you need to know is there really isn't one way that there are definitely principles that work. Yeah. Um, there are definitely strategies and, and tactics. Um, however, you know, you've got to make it work around your life. And, you know, th- there's way is way more complexity for some people than others. So for some people that actually is the only that's that the, the one or two missing pieces of the puzzle for them that they just, they just didn't realize that, you know, to achieve a calorie deficit, for instance, you know, that was the last thing that they needed to know. And and they needed a tactic to do that. And, you know, their life is set up in a way and their mindset set up in a way that that is actually really easy for them. For the most part, for most people, that isn't the case. And the biggest challenge is maybe, you know, their, their, their relationships or the, or the, the, the influence their friends have them or the environments they're living or the stress that they're going through. So, you know, how how much does that sound familiar to you, Jonathan?
1: Man, you're you're speaking my language. Um, The first thing is, let's recognize why we say, just tell me what to do. So that's a sense of overwhelm. I've been searching and searching. There's so many conflicting answers out there. The most polarizing gurus, if you will, are the ones that rise to the top, because they are polarizing, and they get a reaction, good or bad. And so it makes it seem like, and and in order to sell what someone's doing, they want to say like, I have found the way. And there's almost a religious fervor that can develop around this, a cult-like following in a sense even. And that might sound like kind of extreme language to use, but this is what people do. If you look at like the biggest names in, in sort of the fitness and health and all of that, they tend to develop a bit of a cult following around them, this cult of personality. And so but from our perspective, if that's what we're looking for, it means I'm overwhelmed. I do not have the capacity to think and function. I just need to be told what to do so that I don't have to think about it. So really, the first step there is w- figuring out overwhelm. And I like to say that overwhelm is trying to solve all your problems all at once in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to be able to do that. It's equivalent to being a, uh, trying to swallow an elephant hole. So we'll, let's say we'll look at the scope of our problem. So let's say you want to lose 50 pounds. That's a lot of weight. And if that's staring back at you every day, that will feel overwhelming when you look at the magnitude of the problem. Now, part of, why, part of the reason why it looks overwhelming is because we feel like the magnitude of the solution has to be equal to the magnitude of the problem. What's really awesome, what's really amazing, is the solution can be much smaller, it can be incremental. You don't have to lose 50 pounds every day. You can lose just a little bit of weight. But not only that, you don't even have to focus necessarily on the weight loss. So for me, when I work with people, it's really about reverse engineering their healthy lifestyle. So you're bang on there's certain fundamental principles like that connect to our biology that are not going to change with regards to health and nutrition you're not going to get a six pack eating ice cream and pizza and donuts, even though some fitness influencer tells them, tells you that, Hey, I lost all this weight while still to eat ice cream, pizza and donuts. What they're not telling you is either they're lying, they're lying to sell you something or they ate like half a slice of pizza, a tablespoon of ice cream and one bite of a donut, you know, it's all, but they're selling because they don't, they don't believe, they can actually reach people except if they tell them this message you know
0: or or they're 24 and their metabolisms are through the roof and they can (laughs) eat what they want and it doesn't take the sides
1: they they, they don't don't have the you know the responsibilities of life their entire life is dedicated around going to the gym looking good prepping meals that kind of stuff right and so in, in the real world it looks a little bit different and so let's say Let's just say, for example, that maybe there's five fundamental principles around being healthy. There could be more than that, there could be less. We'll just say there's five. Well, if you try to implement all five all at once, your brain will rebel um, because actually it's introducing too much change. Our brains prefer homeostasis, they prefer remaining the same or in a similar pattern of behavior. This is why our brains form habits. And so you need to kind of slip the change in under the radar so it doesn't trigger the emotional brick wall. And that is the resistance to change, because once the initial excitement of starting a program, because it's always exciting to start something new. But once that dies down and we're faced with the reality of what we're trying to do, all of a sudden it gets really hard if we're trying to introduce too much change all at once. Mm. And so it's counterintuitive to introduce incremental or small pieces of change rather than one giant change all at once.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, and that, that I think so many people can relate to that, you know, they, when they decide that they want to start their, their program, whatever they want to call it, there there's that dopamine kind of hit where they visualizing oh a, a better future, like, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. This is going to be time I'm doing this new diet now. And, you know, they get three days in. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't fit with their lifestyle doesn't fit in with their, their daily habits, their, their environments, their relationships, and things soon, you know, regress backwards.
1: Yeah, and, you know, as you say that, I'm like, man, have you been listening to me? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> you know, as a, um, I like to say that that initial dopamine hit, it does have a purpose. So human beings are naturally resistant to change it's kind of a primal survival mechanism that exists, right? Be hesitant around change because it could mean um, vulnerability, it could mean a threat and so on. So in order to overcome that, we need that surge in dopamine. And where that comes from is exactly what you described. So in our head, subconsciously, we start picturing how we will feel, how our life will be different, how we're gonna look, but ultimately it not know how we're gonna feel. And your brain starts to reward you with dopamine that's that pleasure neurotransmitter that's that chemical in your brain that makes you feel really really good that surge in dopamine means that you're able to overcome your resistance to change but we mistake that for motivation and in a sense it's only a motivation to overcome our fear of change it's not permanent because your brain can't keep you high all the time Mm. so i like to ask the question like why do you think we as human beings are so attracted to quick fix fad diets and really i think it's because we want to believe the promise like we want to believe that weight loss is quick and easy because it's a very attractive idea it means avoiding discomfort the those of us who who want to lose weight like carrying that extra weight is painful it stares at us every single day and you get to a breaking point you know where it's like I just want this weight gone, I'll do anything. And we dive headfirst into these extreme methods. There's no way possible you could sustain it like an all smoothie diet or, you know, for most people, like a zero carb diet or like zero pleasures, zero fun, zero enjoyment in food diet, you know? Yeah. And I think we're afraid to acknowledge the reality that weight loss, like permanent weight loss, is actually quite challenging.
0: Yeah. No, hundred percent. And so again, going, going back to your, your own story, what, what period of time did it take you to lose the hundred pounds?
1: Well, if you were to add up how many times I lost weight and regained, I probably lost like a few hundred pounds really, but I was losing the same weight over and over again. So yeah. I, I was, I was trapped in the classic yo-yo diet cycle. Try this one thing, um, believe it's going to be the one thing that solves all my problems and discover all of a sudden after a few weeks into it that my gosh this is really hard and I don't like it um
0: yeah and did you did you did you get stuck in that thing that where a lot of people get stuck into where they because you lost weight following a certain protocol you felt that was the thing that worked um, (laughs) yeah even though you had to do it like you had to keep repeating it all the time that yeah. idea because we we get this a lot we get people that apply for our, our program and, and they'll sort of tell us no i i know what to do with my diet you know um the last time i did it it worked you know the last 25 times i did it it worked <laughs> <laughs> you know so so i'm like okay so if it if you're needing to do it 25 times you know is that is that really working it, it, what what do you constitute as um, a successful working diet and and it's not a question people ever, I think, really often ask themselves.
1: Yeah, man, I'm like, man, you are like, you must have listened to something I said before because you're you are so spot on. Uh, I like to ask people, like, if you regain the weight, like the moment you stopped doing it, did that really work? No, it didn't create transformation, right? Mm. We could say, in one sense, losing weight can be... Somewhat easy. Just starve yourself. But you can't maintain that for a very long time. The secret to just put any kind of fad diet out there is most of them encourage you to eat mostly whole foods and limit your calorie intake. They're just dressing it up differently and increase your activity levels. But we have to constantly introduce novelty because the human brain does like some novelty. And so we have to dress it up differently. But the reality is to create permanent weight loss, you must create permanent change. In other words, you can't go back to living the lifestyle that caused you to gain the weight. And that's a big shift for people, and why we even get caught in self sabotaging behavior. Because ultimately, we're not prepared to leave our old life behind because we feel that our new life isn't going to be better. And where that comes from is the role that food plays in our life that's not necessarily connected to meeting our physiological needs.
0: Mm. How did you go about upgrading? lifestyle factors to allow for a healthier diet?
1: Uh, Really, I'd say it's like one brick at a time. Sure. So it goes back to the way that we the way we would like to create change is to jump into a program and magically fix everything in a short period of time and then be done with it. Because we're trying to avoid being uncomfortable, we're trying to avoid struggling. And So, like, I I use a habit tracker on on Android called Bloop, and so I have a list of probably 20, I don't know, maybe 24 things that I tick off over the course of a day. It's not all at once, but, you know, a couple things here and there, and I don't always tick all of them all the time, but I would say don't start with 24 things. Start with one thing, and what I say is set a CMG, a can't miss goal. So, for example, I set my CMG to be 5,000 steps every day, no matter what, I'm going to get 5,000 steps. Now you'd think, well, why not 10,000? You've been told 10,000 so often. Mm. and it's like, well, the success of building a habit depends on its repeatability. So if you set a habit that, you know, maybe three or four out of seven days you hit, like that's, that's good, but you're not, ult- that habit is a, a repeated pattern of behavior. And so to, to set a can't miss goal at 5,000 doesn't mean I only do 5,000 steps, but some days that's all I do. And in fact, I'm sad to say that my streak got broken at 166 days because I got a bit of a cold. I say a bit of a cold, I'm playing it down, where, you know, cold, achy, and it wasn't the thing that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> but I got a bit of a cold and, you know, tired, aching, and I really just didn't have it in me that day to get up and move. And it was it, so I got to forty three hundred steps, and I was like, no, um, you know. But I'm just back building another streak, right? It's, it doesn't, you know. If if I'm like one hundred and seventy nine out of one hundred and eighty days, I'm like, that's okay. Um, but that's yeah. something about about building this streak where it's like, don't break the chain. So five thousand steps for me was enough that because I, I work on a laptop, I work on a computer, I run an online business. I had to do some deliberate activity every single day in order to hit that. I couldn't just hit it through sort of walking around my house. And so I've got a recumbent bike right behind me. And uh, this morning, you know, I got up, I got on my bike and I went for a ride. And so you, you talk about how how do you build this? Well, you know, my wife thinks I'm a little bit nuts, right, in one sense. So I get up out of my warm and comfortable bed with my my beautiful wife, you know, and I can hear my little baby boy cooing in the background. And all I want to do is just snuggle and cuddle him. So I get, get up out of this warm bed. I go downstairs. I get on my bike and I go for a 15-minute ride of, of reasonably high intensity. It's not too, you know, I'm first thing in the morning. I'm not trying to like, you know, burn myself out. But I don't want to do that. I don't love doing it in a sense. And then when I get off that bike, I go and have a cold shower. Like I just turn it to straight cold and I just step in. Take a deep breath. Step in. Well, I do these things because change requires us being willing to be uncomfortable. And so I do little things every day where I, I deliberately face being uncomfortable to build my resilience to discomfort. So why I was like a binge eating food addict is because I couldn't handle the discomfort and food represented an escape. And so I developed this impulsive pattern of behavior of any time I feel uncomfortable, a twinge of hunger, go eat, erase that discomfort, don't feel it. And so now I realize. If i'm because here's the other secret that nobody talks about fat cells are the gift that keeps on giving. In other words, even though I shrunk my fat cells they're all there, and if I start eating like an undisciplined toddler. I will become obese again and it's incredible and actually quite discouraging how fast weight regain can happen, but it's because the fat cells are already created they're already sitting there waiting it's our it's our famine biology in action. yeah so it's kind of a long way to say. Like break it down into little tiny behaviors that move you towards your goal. For me, it's having a CMG around movement, a can't miss goal of five thousand steps. It's being willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. So having that cold shower every day when I don't want to, teaching myself that it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's this unwillingness to be uncomfortable that kept me stuck for so long.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's huge. Uh, the well, we, we we actually take quite a similar approach. We we have a a kind of habit based system we call it it's called the perfect 10 that we use at lpt says so there's, there's five daily habits and um we for the first two weeks most people we just get them to start on the the, the top three which are really hydration um movement and in terms of the food again we, we have a bit of freedom within the framework because it will change depending on the person yeah. um but you know, it's, it's powerful. Just, just, you know, having that streak, being a, you know, at the end of the week, we get them to journal on on which habits went well, which habits didn't go so well. What, what can we learn about ourselves? And I think that's really the key is, is any diet, like really is a personal development journey. And, you know, if you can treat it as a personal development growth journey, rather than a diet, it's a completely different way way of different uh, framing, reframing the process. Because if you're on a personal development journey, you know, you're probably going to fail, but then the whole point of it is to learn from those failures and then grow. And when you were talking, I just wrote down like discomfort equals progress, because I think, I think that's so important to remind people is, you know, how often are you pushing yourself out of your comfort zone? But I I realized this last week I did, um, I did my first ice bath Um, like a a Wim Hof thing followed by an ice bath and I did my first uh, mud run where I'm like you know having to go underwater like and get muddy and yeah it's horrible but (laughs) but um, yeah something weird happened to me on Sunday night when I was like you know just mentally I was like wow that getting through that like I maybe didn't enjoy those two things massively but there's something that happens in the brain when you overcome discomfort that gives you this inner strength, this inner kind of what next type thing that, that, Oh, I can, I can push things a little bit further. What can I do next time? And, you know, people often aren't aware of how much comfort that they are in, you know, and maybe they're not allowing themselves just to, just to do, just to do like a little thing, like, you know, maybe having a, a cold shower or even, it, you know, maybe not jump in it cold, but just, just, you know, maybe do 10 seconds of, yeah. of cold and, and just doing that on a daily basis, something that just pushes you out of your comfort zone. I think that's really powerful.
1: And I just want to say for anyone listening, like if you have Matt as your coach, consider yourself really lucky. Um, because I'm, I'm just listening to him like, man, this guy is good. And I, i'm i not just pumping your tires I really didn't know much about you before, like we connected to have this this interview. But i'm like dang you know your stuff and you clearly, in a sense, we say you don't you don't have something cookie cookie cutter but you have a framework that works for people, and uh, this is this is why they're going to succeed, I love the phrase let discomfort be your compass.
0: Nice yeah
1: yeah. And it's not mine originally. I heard it somewhere. I don't remember where now, but I heard it somewhere and I, I st- stored that one. It's like, there we go. That's what we really need is let discomfort be your compass. We are stronger and more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. Um, but we live in a world of unprecedented comfort and convenience. And so maybe we could put it this way. We have this, uh, what we would say dynamic tension that we experience. So our, our, um, our primal nervous system is hardwired to to seek out comfort, right? Um, That's the primal part of us, to avoid pain, to avoid suffering, to avoid difficulty. But there's another part of us that makes us human, really. Uh, I might call it our soul, where we're actually, we're seeking growth, we're seeking development, we're longing for new experiences. And so we find ourselves, could we say oscillating or moving back and forth in this dynamic tension of, look, it feels really good, in one sense, to remain inside our comfort zone, but ultimately it leads to an uncomfortable life. But the other part of it is we have this innate feeling or desire to do and be better. And if we're, if it's, you know, it sounds cliche, and maybe people out there, they've seen this, like, choose your uncomfortable. And that's really, you know, being over 300 pounds, like, was a really uncomfortable life. Okay. The only time I got comfort was from maybe like, blanking out and watching netflix and eating junk food the rest of my life was miserable trying to tie my shoes trying to wipe my butt trying to walk upstairs things that we don't you know um, trying to fit into an airplane seat stuff like that and so we i think we need to make uh, acknowledge something and that is that life itself will be inherently uncomfortable but we don't we actually don't have control over that what we do have control over to a degree is what our uncomfortable is and so i choose to make myself uncomfortable and and maybe here's the other thing i have a son i'm 39 he's six months old i'm gonna be 40 and he's gonna be a year old and he's got legs on him these legs never stop moving so i'm he can't he can't quite crawl yet because he hasn't figured out the back and forth motion of his legs independently he's trying to move them both at the same time but i see how hard he goes at it and I'm like, man, as soon as this kid figures this out, he is a goer. You know, we put him in a jumperoo and he just went to town. It was the cutest thing. Watched him jump up and down and bounce. Yeah. He loved it. Well, what this says is this kid's a goer. He's a, he's a mover. He He is like born to run and move. That's my reason for doing what I do. If I fall back into these comfortable and lazy habits of eating poorly, um, I will have to be a sideline dad, I will have to watch my kid play and not be able to be active in his life. I don't want to be a sideline dad, I want to be physically present in his life. And so I have this emotionally compelling reason why I'm willing to be uncomfortable. It's because I want more than anything else to be an active dad in my kids life. And I think we need that. We need to have a powerful emotional reason why we're willing to be uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. Did you, did you, um, work on that specifically when you were trying to raise the value of yourself on that list?
1: Uh, this willingness to be, or, or, or the emotionally compelling reason, or the willingness yeah. to be uncomfortable. emotional
0: um, compelling reason.
1: Yeah, we did. Um, because there's a lot of cognitive distortions. That's an exaggerated sense of reality. For example, just to give an example a type of cognitive distortion is one called catastrophizing i have a headache i must have a brain tumor (laughs) like that is a giant leap an exact a giant exaggerated leap that if you know um and so we can develop a distorted sense of self i'm such an idiot i always screw this up you know overgeneralization, that kind of thing and so it really actually revolved around like calling out that language and reframing it. No, you're not, you're not always an idiot who always screws up. Maybe another one would be like, I'm starving. Nope, you're not. Have you not eaten for four days? Nope. Okay, you're not starving. You're you're hungry. You're a little bit uncomfortable, but you're not starving. So it was it was recognizing this sort of exaggerated language I would use to describe my discomfort um, that had to kind of start shifting um but yeah there had there had to be a really a really strong reason and maybe back then it was that i wanted to be a dad and things that don't talked about in male health is like being obese reduces your fertility and so i had very very low testosterone levels and high estrogen levels you know um like a double whammy of struggle and so um that was something that drove me to wanting to lose the weight is because i really i wanted so badly to be a dad and so i think if we can find within ourselves what is that reason and and, you know precision nutrition has this exercise it actually came from toyota originally it's called the five whys like asking the question why through five layers so being willing to dig a little bit deeper most of us don't go beyond the first surface level one it's like i just i just want to look good well why do you want to look good um because i want to feel confident well why do you want to feel confident because I want to feel attractive to the opposite sex. And why do you want to feel attractive? Well, and so on. And just keep digging and digging. And you go, oh my gosh, this is really why you want to do this. And once you get connected to that, it becomes a lot easier. It's not easy, but it becomes a lot easier to be willing to be uncomfortable.
0: Mm. Yeah, sometimes, and a lot of that is just being honest with yourself around... Cause it's easy to complain about, you know, not achieving X, Y, Z results, whether it be, you know, in your business and your weight loss. But if you actually do do the work and you realize, well, actually, you know, this isn't a high value for me, you know, at the moment, I mean, when, you know, one of the best ways to look at someone's values is to look at their actions and outcomes, right? What are they spending their time on? If they're spending their time on watching Netflix and eating junk food, then that's their values. Uh, we just finished a vi- five-day motivation challenge in the, the Mastering You group, and one of the things I got people to do on day one is actually to outline what does a motivated look, day look like. How do you show up in the world when you are you know, on fire, when you're doing all the, yeah. what are the habits, what are the traits, what are the, what are the character changes that occur when you are the motivated version of yourself? And so that got people thinking, but then we went a bit deeper and we actually did the same sort of thing. And we looked at what are those specific behaviors and those habits. And then we started to attach emotion to them by raising value on those. So they went up the value hierarchy so that you can start to be thinking, okay, this is actually really important because, um, you know, and and you, and and that's where the good stuff starts. Um, but it, but a few people mentioned in the in the group this is really hard you know this is this is hard work and i'm like yeah this is this is the where this is where the work is like you can we can get to the calories and all of that stuff that's the easy bit yes let's, let's dig deep into why emotionally mentally you really that this really means something to you how is this going to transform your life
1: so this is really interesting because like I say that motivation is fickle. In other words, it's not necessarily something we can rely on. But you did something really powerful here. And it's like, okay, let's look at what that would look like a motivated day. And let's see if we can turn those into habits and behaviors. And why habits are powerful is they don't necessarily require motivation to be carried out. It's just something that we do. So the other thing I like to say is that motivation follows action. So sometimes we have this misconception that I must be motivated before I take a course of action. But if we look at your day-to-day life, there are many things you do that you don't necessarily want to do, but you do them out of necessity. Maybe it's show up to work, because um, if you don't, you get fired. How many people like want to, if you love your job, cool, but a lot of people don't. They, they they show up to work because it's a means to an end. So we don't necessarily require the motivation to be successful. It's a nice to have, but I love what you did there where it's like, on a day that you're motivated, what does your day look like? And then can we actually create a system to support those behaviors so that when maybe the motivation isn't there, you still carry out those behaviors?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and the first day I was really honest with people and and I mean, I used the the, the term motivation challenge because people know what that means. Oh, of course. Yeah. But, but on day one, I said that motivation relying on that's useless.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, it's a good, it's a good label. For an yeah. outcome, um, you know the the outcome being that you are inspired to take action on the most important things in your life every day. Yeah. If you, if that's motivation, then I'm game for that. But you know, relying on motivation, which is really fleeting, you know, one mm-hmm. day you've got it, one day you're not. You know, is is a surefire way to fail throughout life. So a lot, a lot of a lot of the trainings were about inspiring people, and it sounds like that's very much having that in inspiration within yourself though that's the key it's not being inspired by seeing a social media motivational quote it's yeah. inspired, you know because ultimately like you know if you like you were just talking about you know your your son and, and like spending time like you're not having to say oh i really need motivation to to go and you know have a bit of fun with my son like that is deep within you and it's it's sort of primed and if we can if we can learn from well what's the emotion going on there that we can transfer into other areas of our life that are also important
1: yeah and you know one of the things that i say is weight loss is a doorway it's not a destination and i say that because the 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 truth is like weight loss yes it's going to improve the health of almost anyone that undertakes it but it's never really actually about the number on the scale it's about your quality of life the number kind of represents a placeholder for a future that we feel it will enable us to live in right so a future where we feel comfortable in our skin where we can you know wear almost anything and feel great where we can live life more fully you know whether it's you know not being out of breath hiking a mountain or getting down to the floor to play with kids or grandkids so really it's about the freedom or the independence to do the activity you want to instead of the one you wish you could so could we say that You know, a lot of people focus on weight loss, the number, but really it's the opportunity to experience life more fully. So we want to we want to be really clear about the fact that happiness doesn't lie in seeing a certain number on the scale, you'll feel like a sense of accomplishment for a day or two, but really happiness lies in the ability to live independently on on our terms.
0: Yeah, I I 100% agree. And and one of the things that I, I sort of try and coach a lot of our members to do is is have some feeling metrics as well as so we have this lmf formula for goal setting so it's look move and feel so how do you want to look aesthetic wise you know what are your move goals so maybe it's to touch your toes because your hamstrings are so tight or maybe it's to run a marathon um but what are your feel goals what how do you want to feel what the emotional and people kind of often gloss over those ones but i always say that that's the most important thing you know like so do you want to have more energy so, so for me personally when with regards to my general health yes I, I weigh myself maybe once or once a week twice a month and i do my body fat percentage just to see where i am um but ultimately i clock in with myself every day um you know i know between two and four o'clock that that mid-afternoon where I'm where my energy levels at where my if my brain if I've got brain fog or if I'm and I know oh yeah I know what that is because I had xyz to eat this morning I didn't prep 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 last night like those it's those feeling those feeling metrics that are way more powerful for me than the actual physical metrics and 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 the thing is I the only issue I have with sharing that with people is I I haven't been four or five stone overweight, so I don't know what that's like. And I imagine to be told or just think about how you feel can can come across as um, only like, well, what do you know? Like, how do you how would you feel if you, you know? You, I understand that the the want and need to weigh yourself, and I think that's still has mm. its place. It um, does.
1: So here's something: when I go to work with somebody, and we touched on this earlier when talking about coaching. I say we are two experts collaborating towards a common goal, you are the expert of your own life experience. Yes, I'm the expert in nutrition and psychology, but you're the expert of your own life experience and we require those two expertises working together to ultimately achieve the goal. And I work with somebody and I want to empower them, I want them to have an active hand in their transformation, not just to do what I say because I said it, I want them to feel empowered. And so I teach my clients, I want them to adopt a hero mindset. And it's a little acronym I use. And it's because nobody, nobody's coming to save you, right? Nobody, nobody's coming to save you. So it stands for healthy, educated, relentless offense. And, you know, healthy is about, I choose healthy mindsets, habits, and behaviors over sickness-inducing mindsets, habits, and behaviors. So we recognize that there's, like, watching Netflix and eating junk food, isn't just a passive thing. It's actively helping you become more sick. Educated talks about, I know what I'm working with and I know what I'm up against. So I don't don't despair, but I don't sugarcoat a fantasy world that doesn't exist. So grounded in reality, I make educated informed choices. Relentless, for me, it's my biology doesn't take a day off. So neither do I. Now this doesn't mean pedal to the metal, burning myself out. It simply means I will show up for myself every day in whatever capacity is available to me, and I will not quit in my quest to live a healthier, happier, and more filled life. And then offense means I'm not going to sit back and wait for a world to change, so the junk food industry is here to stay, the technology that drives sedentary living is here to stay, so I have to choose proactive over reactive. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, what I mean by this, this hero mindset, healthy, educated, relentless offense, I'm taking my health into my own hands, because we live in a world that will make us unhealthy.
0: Oh, I, I can't, I can't agree enough with that I, I've said in probably like seven or eight podcasts. One thing, one thing people need to know is we're swimming upstream, we're swimming against the tide every single day, you, you need to, we, we need to understand this, because if anyone thinks this you know if they're struggling with their diet or their the weight or their health for the last 10 15 years don't beat yourself up about that one bit because it really isn't you know we are being marketed to so well like yeah. from a from a point of view of the algorithms just know how to manipulate us so well it's 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 surprising that like not 90% of the population is obese. I mean, I, I know it's kind of like yeah. 40, 50, but I mean, the fact that we, uh, I, I mean, there's more education ever before, but we, it's...
1: This isn't an information problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. no, well, exactly.
1: Yeah. If if Google if information was the problem, Google would have solved all our problems, but it didn't. And that's what really got me into this whole brain-driven... That's
0: the interesting way- thing recently. Yeah. We get people um, who I now talk to. So years ago, I remember when we were maybe running Facebook ads, and, and we'd get people put sort of uh, sarcastic comments. Well, I can find everything I need. All my workouts on YouTube. Um, today, when I talk to people, the overwhelming thing is I don't know where to start. I, there's, yeah. too, there's too much information, and it's too conflicting, and and that you know, and, and people need help that they need. What, what do I start? What's the first thing I need to do? Because when I Google this, there's a, a trillion different things I can do. So I just need one step. And and usually for us, yeah. it's drink some water <laughs> Yeah. start coming to our training sessions. It's, it really is that simple because, you know, people need to go back to basics generally. I, I'm sure you find the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. we, I say this is not an information problem; it's an implementation problem, right? And so when we recognize that, again, it's about the you know it sounds like I'm beating on the same drum, but it's really about the habits, the mindset, the behavior, the the actions that drive our our sorry the the part of our brain that drives our day-to-day actions that ultimately influences our results. If all it was was to find this missing piece of information, we, we'd all have six-pack abs but we, we have a fast food joint on every corner. We have like, so for me again, as a former binge eating food addict, like if I was an alcoholic that the upside to that is I don't require alcohol. I don't have to face it necessarily every day for my day to day functioning. Mm. Um, in fact, I could never touch alcohol again for the rest of my life and I'd be okay. Food we're faced with every day. Mm. It's socially acceptable. We generally eat more than once a day people show hospitality with food, there's culture, there's history, there's family, there's so much connected to food. And so you talk about swimming upstream and I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> yeah. As a, you know, once you get into this pattern of like binge eating um, and food addiction, it, it, is, it is a real struggle because we're faced with it every day. So just making peace with the fact that, yeah, we're gonna be swimming upstream and it's, it's gonna be a challenge. So stop trying to do this alone.
0: Yeah, exactly. Stop trying to do it alone, and also understand that it is. It, if it feels like an effort every day, then that is how it should feel. <laughs> however, yeah. however, as those habits improve, and it, and it, you know, if you're just starting to starting out and you're really you're changing your life like you, you you did, you know, that effort will diminish because the as those new habits really dial down um, and, and, you know, you get into good routines and good structures and improve your, your environments, your work environments, your home environments, maybe you get your, your kids involved, your family involved, and it becomes, you know, uh, that was one of the trainings that I did on the five day motivation challenge is the, the secret of transformation is joy, you know, bring in joy to the process. You know, if yeah. there's something that I don't like, if I don't like cooking, well, how can I, you know, it, if, the, if cooking brings me one out of 10 in terms of joy, how can we make yeah. that a seven? Or how can we make that a three to start with? What would be one thing would make maybe put some background music on your favorite album, maybe try a new recipe, right. maybe get your kids involved. You know, if you start to do the work, you yeah. know, and start to upgrade those environments and how you feel about the process, the sustainability becomes much easier.
1: Absolutely. I love that just. Um, when people say like I hate vegetables I'm like cool like how are you forced to eat vegetables as a child, like were they boiled to death. You know, there are ways that vegetables can be really enjoyable to eat and it doesn't mean they have to be battered and deep fried or smothered in salad dressing to enjoy them there are other ways to bring flavor out of them. So it's finding a way and that's what we talk about you know when I work with people it's like let's figure out a way to make this work for you and. That's why it's, it's not just me dictating what you must do, but we say, here's the fundamental principle. If you wanna be healthy, you're going to eat some vegetables every day. But how that looks for you is going to, you're gonna have a hand in shaping that. Um, the first thing might be tackling this, I hate vegetables thing. Why? Like hate is a really strong word. Mm. Why do you hate them? Do Why do you detest them? Is it because they're taking the place of food that helps you to medicate your depression or anxiety or things like that? Like where does that really strong visceral emotion against them comes from yeah yeah
0: people people have beliefs around things that they don't that they 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 hold these beliefs and really strong beliefs like a hating a vegetable (laughs) yeah (laughs) bastard vegetable did, did your
1: mom force you to eat brussels sprouts before you could eat your dessert you know
0: yeah, it's really worth exploring this. Just, just one last question, then, and we'll, we'll wrap it up because I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, uh, have you heard the quote, "If you eat it, you'll crave it"?
1: I haven't heard it put that way. That's really interesting. I don't Do, think it's true for broccoli.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was Paul Check that said it, but you know, if you eat it, you crave it. If you eat processed foods if you drink alcohol, if you eat chocolate, if you eat crisps, you know, I know some people are listening to me craving it just as I'm saying it, you know, um, your body's biology, particularly with those types of foods will will naturally want to adopt more of those foods, you know? And, but I, I, I'm always curious for people that have, have switched routes. Did you start to switch that around when you start to eat cleaner and, and, and good foods? Do you start to crave more of the healthier, nutritious foods yourself? Not really. truthfully. No. No?
1: <laughs> so, no, I, I wouldn't say that I crave necessarily healthy foods. Um,
0: or, or maybe not it- crave the food, but the feeling you get from the food.
1: I think it's it's wanting to avoid the discomfort i feel after eating junk food like feeling sluggish and brain fog and yeah. you know overeating and i didn't want to feel nauseous and things like that and so but what we want to remember is food products not food but food products like granola bars for example or crisps or chips as we would call them they're engineered to be craveable they're engineered to, to elicit
0: that's true that is, that is true that in theory they should be way more um you should crave them because they are designed to be the most addictive things on the planet right
1: right <laughs> so they use artificial flavors and sweeteners to create a heightened taste response right that's beyond what you would find in nature it's more powerful than nature we're heightened like we're, sorry we're we're designed to seek out like calorie dense foods because most of time most of human history we didn't have food security we did not have an abundance of food you ate the most calorie dense things so you could store fat for when that famine came because you genuinely needed that body fat to survive a famine but we live in a feast world and so essentially our biology is being hijacked that's part of understanding what you're up against our biology has been hijacked by these food companies our psychology has also been hijacked you're up against, and I don't say this to be discouraging, but to know what you're up against, you're up against some really powerful forces that have invested billions of dollars or billions of pounds um, in engineering marketing messaging and in knowing exactly how the brain works. And that's why, again, I focus on brain driven weight loss because that's what these companies are doing. They know how your brain works. And then if we engineer this food in this certain way, it will, it will get this response from your brain. If we make our marketing message this certain way, it will get this certain response in your brain. That's what you're up against. And maybe this would be a good time to to, if you don't mind me sharing, I have a I have a little um guide called Crush yeah. Your Cravings. So if anybody would like a copy of it, you're you're welcome to go to freedomnutrition.rocks, R-O-C-K-S, slash crush your cravings. So freedomnutrition dot rocks slash crush your cravings and in there you enter your email address and, and name and i'll totally spam the heck out of you no, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I'm joking uh, anti-spam laws mean that i can't do that but i will send you a copy of crush your cravings um in there we talk about the four-step method to crush any craving um how you can essentially sleep your way to lower weight loss and i'll throw in a couple of inspiring stories of how the things that i teach in there have helped some some of my clients lose 50 60 70 pounds um so to show show people like this stuff actually works so if anybody wants a copy of that, they're they're more than welcome to um, hop over there and, and enter the email address.
0: Amazing, amazing. Yeah, definitely do that. I'll put that link into the show notes anyway. So if anyone um, didn't quite catch that, then they can uh, download that. Uh, Jonathan, it's been um, an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, really enjoyed that conversation today. Uh, have you got any last, uh, any last messages or any other tips that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, I would say that, awareness is the first step to change and you talked to the seven stages of behavior change and I say awareness being aware that that behavior exists and more importantly compassionate awareness so when you when you become aware of an unhelpful behavior you might find yourself wanting to judge yourself don't just know that okay this behavior is not helping me and but once we're aware of it we can start to take the steps to change it So compassion awareness is the first step.
0: What's your, what's your recommendation and what they do with that? That should they be journaling, writing that down? Should they be talking to a coach about that? Talking to their, their their spouse about it? What I suppose it depends on. The 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 ultimate would
1: be if you were talking to a coach about it, connecting to another qualified human being who can help you. I mean, really anyone, but I, uh, I'm biased because I am a coach, but I, I, I firmly believe in my heart, the value of coaching. And so speaking with a coach about this will probably have the most significant impact. Journaling has value, but it's still kind of you talking to yourself and being stuck in your own head. And a, a really an excellent coach will help you kind of get out of your head and and able to formulate a plan. And so I really I would say journaling is good. Um connecting with a coach is even more powerful. That's why coaching is a thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think coaching is one of those things that is I think it's one of those uh, obviously a lot of industries are being disrupted right now through technology, but I think coaching is probably one of the things that more and more people will gain value from because of yes. the vast amounts of options that we have. And because of how overwhelmed and stressed people are, you, you know, it, it's hard. We're, our human brain isn't, we can't just upgrade. We can't at the moment just upgrade to a 128 giga, uh, upgrade, yeah. you know, we, we've got to store this stuff in the head and try and work it all out. So a uh, coaching is definitely something that I, I've, I've done for many, many years.
1: Yeah, um, we're, we're wired powerful. to learn from other humans.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, th- thanks a lot, Jonathan, really enjoyed this. Um, uh, yeah, take care. Um, good luck for the for the future with your practice thing. What you're doing is, is fantastic. Um, yeah, very much.
1: It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And if I can just plug one more thing, it's actually yeah, my podcast, Wellness Unplugged. So if you go to freedomnutrition.rocks slash wellness unplugged, you'll get to hear uh, more raw, unfiltered conversations with people about gen- what it genuinely takes to, to create health. Um, trigger warning, we will talk about difficult topics on this podcast, we'll talk about things like anorexia and abuse and trauma and stuff like that. But we want to share real inspiring human stories of overcoming obstacles. And I say it's really about The between the before and after and so wellness unplugged so I'd 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 love to get some more listeners over that way too, so thank you so much man for hosting me and thank you for all the amazing work that you do, Um, I know you're genuinely transforming lives because of it, thank you.